1937. To keep the increasingly threatening Third Reich from achieving a supernatural doomsday weapon, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt secretly turns to soldier of fortune, adventurer, and World War I hero, Ace Kilroy. Ace Kilroy is a serialized webcomic that launched on Halloween night, 2011. The co-creation of writer Rob Kelly and artist Dan O'Connor. It was nominated for a 2012 Eagle Award for Favorite Webcomic. And Kelly won a 2012 Philadelphia Geek Award for Comic Book Writer of the Year. Ace Kilroy features adventure, horror, mystery, political intrigue, and romance. Join the fight against evil. Visit acekilroy.com. than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, people believe tall buildings at a single bound, the infant of ship town is now the man of steel, Superman! Hello, welcome to Superman Forever Radio, episode 76. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and this episode we take a change of plans. Um, ultimately, the controversial ending to Man of Steel has been tearing up the internet and kind of tearing me up a little bit for the last week. So I'm delaying our, our massive read-through for one more week to kind of address this, because I think it needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed correctly with some research and some thought, and maybe a new perspective. Beforehand, I do want to cut, mention a couple of things. As you heard at the top of the show, the Ace Kilroy Kickstarter is still going on. I still urge you to go check that out. Ace Kilroy Season 2, based on the webcomic, by Rob Kelly and Dan O'Connor. Or not based on it, reprints it. Um, still going on, lots of great perks. Solid, solid project. I'll back that completely. Also, as you've probably... Um, many of you have probably seen or heard. I have just finished New 52 Adventures of Superman with John M. Wilson. The last episode is out as of this recording. So check that out, new52superman.libson.com or on iTunes. Uh, we've done a f what I feel is a very solid 45 episodes of that show. And John and I have accomplished more than we set out to do, to be honest. We just wanted to read some comics to talk about them, and we've actually converted some fans. And finally, before I jump in, um, I have a letter, an email, I should say, from Jose Antonio Rivera, who addresses episode 75, which is also the title of the email. He writes, David, when I read on Facebook that you were underwhelmed by Man of Steel, I have to admit I was dreading hearing the episode. I've seen a lot of negativity about the movie, and as someone who I respect in terms of Superman fandom, I knew I was in for a well-reasoned and thought-out podcast on why you felt underwhelmed, but I guess I expected... Well, I, I don't know what I expected, to be honest. Listening to the episode, let me first say how much I enjoyed listening to you give that talk at the library. I thought it was fantastic, and all the questions that got answered and just the tone of your voice made it feel like something special. But I really want to thank you for giving your thoughts on the movie. Why? Like I said before, you always give a well-thought-out and articulate reason for anything you do. Not once did I feel like I was being lectured or scolded for enjoying the movie. You simply stated your reasons, and you did it well, sir. Thank you, Jose. I tried. I have problems regarding the ending too, but I can also see the reasons for it. When it comes to that controversial event, I'm not on the fence about it, but I will say this, maybe David Goyer isn't the writer for these films. Now, I don't get me wrong, I love his work on Demonic Toys, I enjoyed his JSA run with James Robinson and Jeff Johns, 
but I feel like I had the same problems here that I did when I went to see Batman Begins in 2005. The pacing is very quick, some of the dialogue isn't great, and the ending involves the hero in one way or another being responsible for the villain's death. I remember when Batman Begins first came out, and how people were upset about the whole I'm not going to kill you, but I don't, I don't have to save you either. And it seems like a trope with Goyer. The sad thing is, he's coming back to write the next one, and I'm not sure it's a great choice. It just seems he and Snyder are too interested in what they believe is cool, rather than telling the best story possible, but I'm ranting. I just wanted to say that even though we differ on how we feel about the movie, I love that you weren't afraid to state your case and stand by it. Hell yes, it would have been awful for you to have stopped doing the show because over the past few months, I've really grown to love your podcast. Now that we have the origin under our belts, let's see where they can go moving forward. It's been many years since they've had a Superman sequel, so now let's hope they find their voice. Everyone is saying either Brainiac for the next movie or Metallo, but why not Parasite or Bizarro? Sincerely, Jose A. Rivera. I think those are two pretty solid choices, and, you know, Straczynski made the Parasite work fairly well, while also filtering a lot of interesting aspects of it. In fact, Earth-1 could have been a very solid basis for a Superman movie. But, I'm going to get more into this, Jose. Um, We're going to dig a little bit deeper on that ending, because it's been a week of a lot of frustrated, upset, angry fan debate. And I would like to say that I took the high road, and as Jose said, I was articulate in all things. No, sometimes I was just being cranky old man. But I was also responding to a lot of things thrown at me because I didn't agree with the ending. I was called a a hipster Superman fan. A a hipster what? Does that mean I liked Superman before he was cool? Yeah, I did. So I guess I'll wear that one with pride? I don't know. Um, I was told that fans like me hate anything new. I think the exact term I'm looking for was... The best way to prove you're a fan of something is to not like the new version of it. I've also heard the term lazy fandom thrown around, for those that wouldn't accept that. I've seen a lot of bullying. There are a lot of defenses out there for this, the ending of this movie that were condescending. And there's a lot of acts that I saw that were outright online bullying. In fact, I had one instance where I was told... and consider the source this wasn't somebody who was brainiac uh that i deserve to have my teeth kicked in that there's other instances where it's i'm a sheep following the herd i was also told that um i guess in in i guess i'm not able to grasp the context of which the ending occurred well i, I refuse to be bullied into a point of view so i fought my case i fought it maybe a little too hard in some cases and in some cases made it a little too personal. But I'm not going to be bullied into a, into a point of view when nearly all of my, well, almost 36 years now has been as a Superman fan. He's always been there. It's not like I haven't had time to form an opinion or to read a lot of Superman material or watch a lot of Superman material or to understand the context of storytelling. So I went away. The best thing I could do was turn off the internet, turn off all this negativity, turn it off in myself, and process it on my own without obnoxious voices in my ear. And I did. I did some research, looked up articles. Most of them were condescending and had their facts wrong. But I found the key to understanding the ending and to putting the film in context. And what I'm going to do is take a quick commercial break. And when I come back, I'm basically going to debunk the quality of most of the arguments that are being thrown around. And then after that, I'm going to rebuild a new argument from a more firm foundation. 
So it's going to be an interesting episode. I'm going to play this quick podcast promo, and then I will be right back. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait. Be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, Where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah, sorry. Sorry, I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die, They Just Get Reassembled and Sent to Another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga. Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Scrawl War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? <sighs> hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say good night, Scott. Good night, Scott. You gotta be kidding with those baby barbell men. Well, I don't know about lifting my dad's weights. They're kind of heavy. Maybe for you, but not for the big guys like Mr. T and me. Hey, hold it a second. That kid thinks he can look like Mr. T overnight. It took me years of slow, steady training before I became a specimen that you see today. You got to take one step at a time. You got to start small and build up. Then you move on to the next side. And when you're really prepared, then you can move on to the big time. Well, see, there are some things even T ain't ready for yet. Nothing comes easy. So if you want to get bigger, start smaller. Do you have an extra one of those small barbells? And that's one to grow on. And I'm back. Um, I'm going to start by giving a very big, big spoiler warning. Um, I know we had some talk about it in the email, but I'm going to go a little bit more in-depth with Man of Steel. If you have not seen it yet, come back later. Uh, but mostly my expectation is this episode is going to draw in a lot of people who have seen it, who have been on the internet, who have either taken crap for their stance on it or, you know, in some cases given crap for their stance on it for and, and taken down other people's, you know, stances. But I'm going to I'm going to put that spoiler warning up and then I'm going to explain how I 
grew to accept the movie and grew to look at it differently. But first, I'm going to take the, some of the major arguments that have been thrown at me as I was a very devout Superman doesn't kill camp. And I'm going to tell you why some of them don't have the legs they should. None of them are necessarily bad arguments, but very incomplete arguments. So one of the things that I've seen is the other Superman movie where Superman kills Zod, Superman 2. Okay, here's the deal. As someone who had made excuses for that movie for decades, uh, making excuses that the cellophane S was te uh, Kryptonian technology, that the teleporting was just them moving that fast, just to justify that this movie was pretty good. I'm tired of that, and I'm sure everybody else is too. So, what we see on screen is Superman lifting a powerless Zod up and throwing him into a trench. Here's where the fanboy excuses can just go ad nauseum. Could be a shallow trench. Shallow-ish trench. Could be, you know, we have an alternate cut where the Kryptonian criminals are arrested. There could be Kryptonian fortress technology we don't know about. It's, it's a flimsy, flimsy argument. It's a flimsy, flimsy basis for an argument. Just because of the way the story is told and been recut, you have TV versions, it doesn't help either side. I mean, if you're really going to choose sides in this, eh, Superman 2 is better left off the table. It's just a headache either way you go. But we have to look at the source to come to a place of peace, to come to a place of understanding of what we've seen. Is that the comics? Yes and no. I'm going to get to that. But while we're in the realm of comics, we've also seen a lot, a lot of Superman Volume 2, number 22. Which is awesome that we're getting this 20-something-year-old comic pulled out of the long boxes. And I don't mean that sarcastically, even though it came out that way. I actually think that's excellent. Superman number 22, yes. Superman executes General Zod and his two compatriots. Yes, this happens. However... Where that succeeds and why it succeeds is not only that we saw the repercussions where Superman lost his mind and created an alternate alternate identity of Gangbuster, left the Earth to find himself, but it's also because we saw what was at stake. They were being punished for something they had done, not the potential of something they were going to do. Also, we saw what they did. We were comprehending we're on an alternate Earth, so all bets are off in a pocket universe. Earth was destroyed. There was no life left on Earth. Five billion people were killed. Five billion. So we see this. We see the scorched Earth of Smallville. We see characters whose names we know, like Pete Ross and Bruce Wayne, being killed. And we kind of understand why Superman does what he does. And maybe that's a lack of storytelling in the movie. Because all we're getting is a potential nail-biting scene. It's a bit more than that, but it's a different context. And I just want to point out, Superman has thought it through in Superman number 22. He's thought it through. He's processed it. There is no choice. And I want to point out that while he is just explosing... Explosing. I'm going to leave that in just for fun. While he's exposing Zod to the kryptonite. His compatriot, Quexel, is in the process of killing Zod. It could be technically argued that Quexel perhaps killed Zod. He didn't. But that's going to be a sticking point. 
One thing I want to point out is that a lot of articles talk about this issue. And they say, well, he killed Feyor and Zod. No, Feyor is not in this issue. There is a character called Zayora. Okay, Zayora is very much Feyora. They're kind of the same character, but if we're going to use the facts, let's get them right, correct? But the point is, we had a connection. We saw this weight on his shoulders. He had a crappy choice ahead of him. And we knew he was walking into that. And it was dealt with extensively. And yes, we may have sequels that deal with it. That's great. That's three years down the line. I kind of... hesitate. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing this anymore. Because I don't want to add to the negativity. But as I mentioned, this is the one movie we may have gotten. Had this movie not been phenomenally successful, we may not have gotten a sequel. They went in expecting a sequel, but they also went into, you know, filmmakers went into Superman Returns expecting a sequel. There may there was no guarantee that they could continue this story and deal with these consequences, and there's still no guarantee that they will. They may just move on. And I think that's the big difference for me. So, that's the comic book. That's Superman number 22. The storytelling was more concise. It gave us a clear reason on why Superman was doing what he was doing. And the format gave us a chance to follow through and see the repercussions where the movie had no guarantee of that. Still has no guarantee of that. It's uh, it's not apples and oranges. You know, as far as what happened here and what happened at the climax of Man of Steel... But it's more like apples and pears. Not only, are we, not only are we dealing with a different format, we're dealing with a different context. And it's just... It's tired. There's a better argument to be had. Um, uh, one argument that I had was that, you know, as I mentioned, some people who didn't support the death at the climax, the killing of Zod at the climax, didn't have a context for what we were seeing. Let me explain the context to make sure you... We all understand, because I'm sure the bulk of us understand the context. It doesn't change our opinion of the scene. Yes, I see the parallel between Jonathan Kent's death and this. Because Clark didn't act, and Jonathan died. And that was Jonathan's sacrifice. He laid down on the sword for Clark. And Clark was doing the same for this nameless family. It's flimsy. It's vague. But it is there. However, if we were going to do that correctly, we would see Clark making a more clear sacrifice. Clark throwing himself in front of the heat vision beam. It would have been more dynamic. That would have been a nail biter. You know, Zod just pummeling him with, with, with the heat vision. Superman's making his way to him. The only choice he's got, it's either him dying, which means the world would follow, or he makes the ultimate choice. I, I'm just saying, I think it's a storytelling problem. And then, when Superman is willing to die for these people, rather than to kill for them, the story has the right meaning. Even I would have been like, yes, I understand where this is coming from immediately. And I wouldn't have had to take a week to just process what's essentially about two minutes worth of the movie. One more defense from the comics and also directed DVD is Doomsday. That Superman killed Doomsday in their fight. I can disqualify that very easily. Doomsday had no real sentience, confirmed by multiple psychics. All he had in his mind was hate and destruction. He was 
soulless. He was an emoticon. And at the same time, Superman sacrificed himself to do so. And that's what makes Superman number 75 work. That Superman was willing to lay down on the sword, blatantly sacrifice his life to get the job done, to protect the people he cares about, which is the world, which is Lois. Which, honestly, I think if we had seen somebody like Lois, rather than a nameless family, the scene also could have worked. So it's not for me anymore that, okay, Superman should not kill. Superman does not kill. It's not that anymore. Because I can accept this, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but I also think that there were better ways to frame the scene, there were better consequences to be shown, rather than for us to infer. Which is why I think the scene is not the success it could have been. And that's why I think we have so much debate. Because if you're going to do something controversial at this level, with a character at this level, there's a very clear message that needs to be sent right there. While most of us do understand the context, we understand the parallel, what we're not seeing here is the ultimate sacrifice. Which is funny, which is going to bring me to my my main point here. Because as I mentioned, we're taking it back to the source, and this was a film that talks about Christ allegory. A huge allegory to Jesus Christ. In fact, we got a Jesus with a red cape and stained glass as Superman's making choices. We have a lot of cross poses. We have a very clear attempt to make a Christ allegory, and I can tell you this is for sure because it was admitted by the filmmakers, and the movie was marketed to Christian organizations. Okay? So Christ is supposed to be the source of Superman? That's already incorrect. But this is what led me to my ultimate discovery and why I understood Man of Steel as a different film than what I was expecting and maybe a different film for what I wanted but in its own context a slightly more fascinating film because as I mentioned we're attempting to make a Christ parallel the filmmakers are which is incorrect if you look at the source those being Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster they were devout Jews. Their idea of Superman started out as a proto-villain. And then Siegel took inspiration not from the Bible and Jesus Christ, but from the Torah and from two people who he mentioned in interviews were big pieces of building the Superman mythology. Moses and Samson. Moses and Samson. He also mentioned Hercules, and I'm going to get into that part, but let's look at Moses and Samson. We're looking at Old Testament Bible, or the Torah, and we're not dealing with a Christ allegory. We're dealing with Moses allegory, which has always been a fascinating piece of Superman, because looking at, the, at, at Moses, Moses parallels perfectly. He was sent down the, the Nile rather than being uh, slain by the Pharaoh. He was taken in by a family that wasn't his own. And he rose up to be a champion of the people. But when you say it like that, it's very brief. It's very concise. It's very skipping everything about the Moses story. About Exodus. Moses was a character who killed an Egyptian guard. As a young man, he killed the guard when he saw him beating a Hebrew. And he actually tried to hide it. He was imperfect. But that killing of the guard 
it came to be what I called the fatal flaw. Something Superman doesn't have, which made the, the allegory an imperfect allegory. The fatal flaw. Superman has to kill Zod. Now Moses was led to flee the country and become a shepherd. He gave up his identity. He then went on to his greater destiny because of that. When we saw Superman kill in Superman Volume 2, number 22, he created another identity. Eventually he fled. The Moses allegory holds true. And yet here we have here this slightly imperfect Superman. Now, part of me wonders, and I'm not going to try to contemplate too much what the actual intention of the, of the filmmakers are. Because Zack Snyder's reasoning is better left off the table. That would ruin our good mood, and we don't want to do that. We're coming into a good place, people. But Zack Snyder's idea was you wanted a Superman that you didn't know exactly what he was going to do. If you mess with Lois, who knows? That's the equivalent of John Peters telling... <laughs> sorry, telling Kevin Smith that he wanted to cast Sean Penn of Superman as Superman... Uh, Sean Penn as Superman because Sean Penn had the eyes of a killer. Which is ironic because we actually got a polar bear in this movie. Which was one of John Peters' requirements. Um, we may have to think about that. Okay, coming back to what I'm saying. I don't want to deal with what the writer and the director intended. Because what we got, if they intended it or not, was something kind of special. And now that we know that there will be a sequel, it's something that really can open the floodgates. What we saw on screen was the Moses Parallel. The first part of the Moses Parallel. We're staying true to something that is within Superman's very core DNA. And when looked at as this mishmash of biblical parallel, parable, pardon me, it's kind of a fascinating movie. As I mentioned, he was also based on Samson. Strongest Man Alive has, you know, don't as long as he doesn't drink or cut his hair, fantastic. But his final act as well was a sacrifice in a cross formation to bring the entire building he was in down and to destroy his oppressors. Now, I know what you're saying, because I've said it too. I have said it too, and to some extent, I still believe this. Superman is meant to achieve the impossible. He is meant to rise above. Yes, he is. But part of me wonders if having a perfect, untainted Superman is as compelling as this person who has done the ultimate deed, who can never, ever take it back. And there's something I really want to see in the sequel. This needs to have ramifications. It didn't in this film. We had Superman reacting emotionally, but then it moved on. But that comes back to a criticism I had where the film is a very manly film. Anytime we hit emotional spots, it's like, okay, shake it off, move on, move on to the action. So looking at this as the Moses allegory, as the Samson allegory, I also started looking at it differently. I started seeing things that they, I cannot believe they are intentional, but they're there. For example, it has a lot of tenements of Arthurian legend. We have Jor-El kind of playing this Merlin to Kal-El's Arthur, which would make Zod Mordred. 
Now, that gets a little sticky if you're into an Arthurian legend, because there's a lot of awkwardness between that. But still, we're seeing a legend play out. Does that, does that mean that Superman killing Zod was the absolute best choice to put on film? For something that's going to be presented to people who are either lukewarm fans, who are lapsed fans, who are hardcore fans, or who just don't care. Problem is, we had a movie that had to reach all of those, and all at once. There was two and a half hours worth of time to reach everyone and get everybody on the same page. And if somebody, if, if we didn't come, if, if nobody went to see this movie, there would not be sequels. Are there concessions made? Yes. Are there mistakes made? Yes. But looking at the core pieces of this as a legend, as a mythological storytelling, it's solid. Is it a good superhero movie? It's okay. <laughs> it's not a great one. Is it a good Superman movie? At the surface, no. It's 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 flawed. It's very flawed. As a standard Superman movie, having not done this research, I would have given it, and I did give it as I was walking out of the theater, about a C- to a D. Because it did have a lot of solid moments that never came together. And then there was that whole killing Zod thing at the end. However, think looking at it as this parable, it achieved something great. Because as I mentioned, I'm seeing... Hebrew storytelling from the Bible. I'm seeing Arthurian legend. I am seeing a lot of different mythologies coming together on this. Superman in this film with that one act opened my eyes to make me realize that what we are seeing is the American dream. It is the ultimate immigrant story because it does combine so many pieces of the immigrant story. It combines this Arthurian legend. It combines the Christ allegories. It combines the Hebrew you know, allegories. It combines all of this, which is what I consider to be the, the American way. Which is, if you're living in America, or if you're viewing America from afar, if you're living here, what everybody should see, ultimately, and what someday, long after I'm probably gone, we will see, is a group of people coming from other places to bring their culture together, to merge them, to put them into one, to, to create the melting pot, and to create this unique amalgam of cultures that in itself, because of the amalgam, becomes unique amongst itself. That's what it should become if you're an American. That's what the other countries, for my international listeners, should be seeing in America. It's not. It's not what we're seeing now. But it is an ideal to strive for. And this movie is brutal in achieving that. However, Arthurian legend is brutal. Uh, the Torah is brutal. The Bible is brutal. Their storytelling doesn't pull punches. So should Superman, as a representative of all of these cultures... Of all of these places of inspiration, not be brutal at some points, as long as he is able to take this horrible moment and help him push himself further 
away from that kind of behavior, then I think it's in a, it's a victory. So if you're looking for a Silver Age Superman, this is not him. Uh, this is a Superman that does, unfortunately, what he's got to do. And as I've said, the major flaw in the killing of Zod is not that he killed him, because this is part of the character's DNA. It's not part of the character as we know him, but when you start taking Superman apart and deconstructing him and looking at these pieces that make the whole, you see where the logic is in what happened with Zod. What didn't happen for me was a bit of storytelling, a bit of a build-up, a bit of a climax that had me on the edge of my seat. By the time we got to this scene, I was already worn out. We'd had action after action after action. I was ready for it to be over. If we had placed it differently, had he killed Zod and was, you know, still dealing with it as the world machine is destroying Metropolis and he has to get his second win and do what's right, I'm on board. I'm behind it. As I mentioned, if Zod had been trying to kill him, I'm on board. I'm behind it. I think it was just a disconnect that made that scene so traumatic. So, I'm going to kind of bring this to a close. As I pointed out, we've had all these different storytelling sources that went into Superman, which is what we should see from our country as Americans and what other countries should be seeing in our country. Seeing all these sources come together in Superman, seeing a lot of people who are of different regions, of different religions, of different mindsets, who I've met who are Superman fans and who we bond with because we're Superman fans because we see something greater. It's time to accept that this has happened. If you don't like it, fine. I get it. I'm not somebody who, uh, that's not a choice I would have made if I was writing the movie. However, it is the movie. It has happened. And it's time to move on. For me, for you, for all of us. If you're not a fan of the movie, if it offended you, don't go see it. Just don't go see it again. And it's time to just stop the fighting. And I am myself no longer... I mean, this is my closure. This this episode has been my catharsis. That's why I'm doing very little editing. It's time to stop fighting. It's time for us just to agree that, hey, there were parts that were really good. That last part I could do without. Let's go get a cheeseburger. Or talk about the parts of Superman that you do like. Talk about issues that you've loved in the past. Episodes of Lois and Clark. Episodes of The Adventures of Superman. It's time for us to stop turning on each other. And it's time to stop bullying each other because we disagree on a movie. As much as I love Superman, and I don't think that can be contested. I mean, I have Truth, Justice, and the American Way tattooed on one arm. I have Superman on my left shoulder. I have Superman. I have three Superman tattoos. I have a room sitting in a room full of Superman stuff. But at the end of the day, there are more important things. There are more important things to fight about. There are more important things that we could agree on. There are places we could go that are healthy. And to be fighting about this movie a week later, and I still see it. Literally, as I'm recording this, I am seeing people still arguing about this. It's time. It's time to move on and let it go. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I ask that you do. 
whether you stand on the pro-Man of Steel camp or the anti-Man of Steel camp, stop fighting. Just stop fighting. And until next time, everybody, you know, be kind to each other. It's just a movie at the end of the day. It's just a character, and as much as we love that character, you and I are flesh and blood. We have feelings that can be hurt. We have friendships that can be broken. Just be kind to each other and keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Superman Forever Radio is a NatWorld production. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review. The show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com, where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. And episodes are also available on Stitcher Radio. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com. You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at superdaveweeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.